Welcome to Happy Times and Places, in which I, Toby Haydoke, ask a special guest to choose a Doctor Who story and to then nominate their favourite things about it. I then have to guess what those favourite things are. Hi, Toby. It's uh, Thanks for having me on. Uh, for the multitudes out there who don't know me, my name's Jeremy Raddick, and I played Gareth in the Doctor Who TV movie. And for the past 25 years, uh, I've been uh, shamelessly exploiting that to get me into exciting predicaments like this. Um, and now it's, you know, it's brought me here uh, to my basement uh, to talk to you about Inferno. It's actually getting quite warm in here because, well, things are hotting up. Um, we're getting closer to the centre of Inferno because we're on episode two. Um, Jeremy Raddick, who I have never met, uh, is attacking this uh, uh, podcast format with gusto. So I'm as excited to see uh, what he has to say about each episode because he's having fun with it. I've never met him. Isn't that lovely? that uh, I considered just through his energy and wit uh, coming through my screen and the brief uh, conflabs that we've had, I consider I have a friend across uh, the halfway in a different part of the world, uh, united by the fact we both like the same thing. And he's exhibited lots of uh, traits that I very much warm to. So this is this is part of the joy of doing this is is not just the watching of the stories, I hope, but I hope you get to encounter people and personalities who are warm and engaging and likable and revel in a joy of a thing that you like, too. And I hope one of the things you like is Inferno. We're about to watch episode two and I'm about to press play. I've got it paused in between episodes on the Inferno DVD, the special edition thing, which has a rather exciting documentary about the Havoc stunt team on it, uh, uh, which, yes, which I, I might talk about at some point. Um, but let us press play or whatever we're going to press in three, two, one, go. Um, so, Inferno. Um, last week... Or last episode, I chose Douglas Camfield, the brilliant director who's only fully responsible for episodes one and two. His influence is felt for the rest of it. And of course, he does all the film sequences, but, but he fell ill. He had a weak heart. Um, but Jeremy chose what we're about to see now, which is the title cards. And this, oh, I did know the name of the guy. Uh, this is quite famous volcano volcanic sequencing. And you used to see it quite a lot in school programs about volcanoes because volcanoes were a thing. And and this stuff, um, so, some of some of this footage is also watched. Um, uh, Giles Kent and uh, the Doctor are watching Inferno uh, when they're padding out episode three of The Enemy of the World. Um, but it is part of season seven's crusade to have different titles because Spearhead from Space has the normal titles, but the 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 the, the title of the episode zooms in. Um, Doctor in the Silurians is as per normal without the zoom, uh, but it does say Doctor Who in the Silurians. Uh, Ambassadors of Death, of course, has the best uh, uh, opening titles ever, in that the title attacks you and shoots you uh and then inferno has this and i yeah 
Great choice. Titles are a good choice. Um, I love the sound. I love the dribble. Uh, and actually, he's not a green man. He's sort of slightly blue. And this is a real improvement um, on, on how I'd watched as a kid because you can see the individual hairs and that slightly blue makeup. And I think that really works. And the, the addition of saliva helps. I love the way that Derek Ware as Private Wyatt sort of comes into the foreground and, you know, does this signal for them. He's not a character that we know, but he convinces as a military type. Douglas Canfield was so good at keeping the action real and, and you know, having stuntmen and, and people like Derek Ware here who's comfortable with, uh, with the action sort of side of things. I, again, it just seems to me, as with Professor Stallman, that side of things is done slightly more realistically than Doctor Who sometimes does. And I can't necessarily always put my finger on why and look at the, f the framing of that with, with Christopher Benjamin in the background out of focus and the, the, the sharp focus on uh, the profile of Olaf Puglius Stallman. And it's, there's, you know, it's, it's very, very well shot. Um, this is why I chose Douglas Camfield as... as the director because he's i mean he he does make a difference um and i love this stuff about the fact that uh the 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 mutating humans make everything hot that gives it an extra sort of primal danger and an extra sort of danger you know suddenly everything gets turned hot and i love the the scorch marks on the back of the wall uh, and, and last episode we had the 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 wrench that was red hot uh, and there's something about something sort of that bubbling energy from from the core of the earth that uh, again because I think it it ties in with something that is old because you know it's something that's old as the earth itself that gives it a slight element of horror uh, added to the sci-fi. I, I didn't realise that I only discovered relatively recently that the the film uh, shots of the pipes are actually models. Well, they they meld seamlessly with the with the sets and that's very very impressive i thought maybe they were just on film to get some bubbling stuff and a bit of heat but actually they're no they're they're, they're model shots um by ian schoons so that's really impressive um uh and all the characters here are very very well drawn as J jeremy said in his uh, in his thing that he didn't choose was that the d the different characters attitudes to the drilling uh really help with the drama because everybody has a slightly different dramatic impetus and and so keith has the fact that sort of whitehall is sort of pulling him back because he's got to be seen to do things properly but he is quite a gentle figure who also has to be a bit diplomatic um so he's got those things pulling him sutton hasn't got any loyalty to anybody but he knows how these things work and he's you know hard bitten so the fact that he might feel a little bit uh, and you know and he's seen it all so anything that worries and upsets him is you know danger uh, pe pe uh petra um you know she's got her loyalty to 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 professor stallman but you know she's not daft uh, so she's torn between and she likes greg so she's torn between all of that and then you've got start stallman who you know in his view the project is really important has to be seen through so that's excellent i love this i love the way that derek ware who was a stuntman yes and he founded the havoc stunt agency but he was a rather trained actor and i think that does make a difference and i i love the way he's sort of slightly mouthing there he's is he's, he's, he's yeah he's slightly yeah i love what that, that, and that distant look that he has and yeah i love what he's doing with his mouth and the twitching um and this now this this sequence here between the brigadier and the doctor is great because in a lot of circumstances, 
This is a piece of dialogue that would be done over a desk in a studio. But because I don't know, did they? I don't know if it had always been planned like this, but they've got the height of the complex, uh, and they've got this. It's it's very simple um, stock sound. I think from is this one of Delia Derbyshire's, but it's you know this is not specially composed music, but it's it's, it's barely music, but just that throbbing away in the background, and and. And and on on the mention of Krakatoa again, anything that and and, and I remember being a kid. Krakatoa was this. I didn't even know, know really what it was apart from it was this. It was a, it was a volcano that exploded and there had been some disaster there. But I remember my brother speaking of it as though it was this. Oh God, yeah, Krakatoa. So any, you know, any mention of that was sort of gave things something a bit of added welly. And volcanoes, you know, lava burning, hot, bubbling. Uh, when when nature itself was something that. Uh, that that could be dangerous you know that 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 brings with it an extra dimension as well but yeah just these scenes instead of that being benton walking into an office and calling the brigadier out you've got all of that extra stuff and pertwee looks at home here which is interesting because uh, derek ware who plays private wyatt um was one of the first doctor who people i met he was a stuntman at, at the ludlow festival doing the swords um when uh my brother was uh played one that did a, the only bit of acting he ever did um but then then i worked with derek because my brother is older than me uh because derek returned with the company it was a professional company doing shakespeare and, and derek returned to do the fights many 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 times uh so he was the first doctor who person i met because i met him very briefly and so excited when 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 i, I discovered he, he was a doctor who person and that he that then i discovered he'd been in the first ever doctor who um uh, but then he, he, when he, he, he's, you know, he was talking about the falls and all of this here. He said, you know, the real brave person with this, look at Pertwee, great, again. He goes, I'm not going to walk down the ladders. I'll slide down the banisters. Real man of action. But, and look, and the fact that Derek is so nimble because he's a stuntman and a physical man, and he's got dribble as well, and that makeup's great, and they've done good work with the hair. Um, but because of he's so nimble, the way he was standing there, you know gives an extra dimension and an extra sort of actioniness to this actually quite hazardous uh environment that they're on all these brilliant shapes that give the camera so much to deal with but you know you're really helped if you've got you know brave nimble men who can clamber about them as as Derek did there to to make it it seems so natural but you know that's not not easy but but I know Derek you know said that Pertwee was absolutely terrified of heights uh, and so the fact that he uh, comports himself with such elan uh, over over those railings and griddings and all of that is a real testament to to Pertwee as leading man, as action hero, as as, as brave actor. Um, and uh, the, there is the story that uh, Alan Chance and Terry Walsh sort of calmly walked him around the top of the gasometer and, and chatted to him amiably in order to make him feel uh you know safe and i know and you know the, the kinship that pertwee had and the way that he you know the dynamic he had with those stunt guys i think is is important to this this period of the show um which is why it was nice to become an honorary member of havoc uh when i jumped off uh, an 18 foot uh, erection um on on the special edition for this which it looks okay on the documentary but I don't think it looks as high as it looks when you're on it. 18 foot 
may not and one review actually said oh yeah the documentary is funny because you see this guy getting scared of not jumping off a great height that wasn't the point the documentary was making the documentary was making the point that actually it's quite scary for somebody who's never done a stunt before to jump off an 18 foot thing that was the if you think oh it's funny that a man was scared i uh, uh and it was just a small jump uh, i suggest you give it a go uh because that because <laughs> because yeah it was uh and i and I, I wish i'd done the stunt fall better because when you fall you're supposed to tuck your head under and that makes you do a somersault but i, I just felt if i tucked my head under my the my head would hit the the panel i was jumping you know the 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 uh, the thing I was, uh, the platform I was falling off, and I just imagined cracking my head and breaking my neck. So I sort of twist rather, and then fall through the mattresses, which gave us a moment. But uh, that was Chris Chapman. It's called Haydock versus Havoc. Chris Chapman directed it and conceived it, and I got the Hav- some of the Havoc boys back together, including Derek Ware, um, who I sort of see as my my first Doctor Who person. Uh, uh, and um, and, I, and in fact, I suggested him to be on the commentary for the Mind of Evil, um, even though he, it turned out he didn't work on the Mind of Evil. <laughs> um, but it meant he then was involved in the DVD range, and I'm pleased. Um, uh, and and he was a nice man, Derek. And I was I was sad when he passed away because uh, he was always somebody that uh, that wrote letters back, and he was you know he's quite an erudite guy. Actually, you think of stuntmen as being quite prosaic but Derek was very much he knew his Shakespeare he was a man of the theater he had a fund of stories uh he was a bit disappointed in 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 some ways about the way that sometimes stunts were 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 not taken as seriously as they might be and he and I used to get very annoyed when you know fight I remember Brian Blessed did some fight arranging on a on a pantomime or a play or something uh, I think it may have been a Three Musketeers, and 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 Derek was sort of going, look, come on, Brian Blessed's an actor, and that's doing stunt people out of work. And uh, but I know another actor who, when I said something about Derek Ware being a bit disappointed, said, oh, Derek Ware was always disappointed. So it depends who you are, I guess. Uh, but I certainly, um, I I liked Derek very much, uh, and I and I think that the work of Havoc uh, is benefits. Uh, the, the series uh, again uh, this is quite sort of hokey and oh the mad scientist doing the mad thing but the way that it's done and the way that Olaf Pooley plays it sells it and sells it more and, and because he's been tapping his his pad earlier I, th- I think and he, the, 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 the way that he you know this, this sort of hand business that he has is is I don't know. It's consistent. It's consistent with his characterization, so it doesn't feel like oh, silly man's touched the thing. It's now oh, has something? Uh, I don't know. It just again, I can't quite put my finger on what it is about Olaf Pooley, but it's a cut above. And it's interesting because he wasn't really a sort of. I mean, the Pertwee era doesn't have a big name actor policy anyway. I mean, the Troughton era and the Hartnell era used a lot of film stars, you know, and film actors. Um, but the the 70s, we, we often think of Doctor Who as having sort of big names in it. But that was sort of the 60s and the 80s. The 70s, much less so. Uh, what it does instead is it fills its cast with estimable character actors um, uh, and spends its money on helicopters and people falling off ladders. Um, 
And I don't necessarily think it suffers as a result of that. I would always invoke Doctor Who's ability to attract brilliant actors as one of its strong points. But actually, this country has a lot of brilliant actors who aren't employed enough. Uh, and, and perhaps the 70s policy was uh, slightly more egalitarian and uh, even perhaps a better use of resources because you can get as good a performance out of a out of a, a, a Bernard Kay or an Olaf Pooley or a John Abenary or a John Ringham um, as you as you can out of um, you know and in fact more so I think than some of the showier actors sometimes in Doctor Who but anyway uh, yeah and Camfield also directs actors very well he somehow keeps up the the intensity and the believability in a way that Doctor Who doesn't always go for and sometimes it deliberately doesn't always go for it because it wants a certain archness or it wants a certain colour um, you know and, and and certainly the government official types who appear in 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 the Pertwee era subsequent to to season seven are are a bit more sort of jolly hockey sticks and a bit more pompous in a, and, and, and a bit sillier um, and, and you know that's a deliberate um, sort of dialing up of the the, the colour, if you like. Um, but I I like this. I've always carried a certain amount of shame for being a Doctor Who fan because when I was growing up, it wasn't, or, or in my formative years, it it uh, it was a bit of a, a national joke. So uh, uh, when the, when there were bits, I thought I could show a normal person. Um, and now, and look, a black female extra at the back there, who is Corinne Skinner-Carter, who uh, was a regular in EastEnders for years and has had an amazing career. Um, but uh, there she is um, being a background artiste. Um, but she's had loads and loads of really important work over the years. And I'm sure I'm going to... But I don't think that she and the guy are background artists in the Warp 2. I'm so glad they don't call it the Warp, the parallel world uh uh, uh, it was always when it was written up that you know the parallel world, but uh, in the script and in the production documentation, it's 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 all warp too. I'm I'm glad it's not called. I'm glad it's not called that in this anywhere ever. Um, and uh, but I, yeah, I'm sure they're not extras. So is that a is that a subtle, you know, nod to the fact that it's the state is somewhat more fascistic, um, in that uh, yeah, there are no black people among the staff. Interesting. This is great. Um, again, I love that that sort of clenched fist fury thing that he's got going on, and and the way even the way that he opened the drawers. Uh, uh, it's a it's a good it's a good face off, and I and I like the little plot with the with the micro key. Um, because it because it it feeds into what's happening. It, it's a it's a useful um, way into the to, to tie in the plot with what's going on in the in warp two uh, in the parallel universe. Uh, I'm presuming Venusians therefore have a, a, a fairly similar um, bodily makeup to, to humans in order that their karate can work. And I I. Uh, I quite like. I I don't have a problem with Venusian <laughs> karate. I think it's quite fun, and and I think it's the straightness with which Pertwee plays it. There's you. There's no idea that. Pert, what's amazing about Pertwee is he does the karate stuff that I think somebody that didn't take themselves too seriously might do with a bit of a twinkle. 
uh, and he dresses the way that he does completely seriously. Now, Pertwee does have a twinkle, and Pertwee is very funny. He's a comedian. But I think the action stuff and the karate stuff and his dress sense, he's deadly serious about. And that is what makes it sort of charming, is that the bits that he does that most people would would be a bit self-conscious about, he's like, no, I do karate and I wear velvet. <laughs> his his comedy comes from, from, from elsewhere. I mean, he's good at pricking his own pomposity, I think, uh, 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 Pertwee. Um but he's a unique specimen, and that's why he's a great Doctor Who. Um, and and again, I th- and I I think the fact that we associate him with Doctor Who so much, sort of, and 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 because Tom Baker is Doctor Who, and and is you know has much more of an alien quality than Pertwee does. I think Pertwee sometimes suffers in comparison, which is a shame because. It was a really bold move for him. It was a really smart piece of casting. Uh, and he's great. I mean, he is Doctor Who. He's an Earthbound Doctor Who. But then, of course, when he's on Alien Planets, I love the way that, you know, he's very good at the formality of a royal court or whatever. He's a bit of a bit of an arse-licker, actually. But I quite like that because it, it, it makes him... It, it gives... You know, it means that he's a chameleon who can sort of... You know, who has learnt how to show respect to lots of different alien cultures. I like that. Um, and again, that might make him seem like a bit of an arse-licker on Earth, but actually, he's only he's not, because he's got absolute contempt for all the government idiots. Um, but as I say, yes, and, and he mentions the royal family in this in the next episode, doesn't he? You suspect he would be absolutely at home at Buckingham Palace um, uh, <laughs> or at the MCC or whatever, but that's okay. Um and I like the way he uh, he manipulates because it's actually quite dishonest. The third Doctor, he's a bit naughty. Um, but no, Pert was so good. He's so good. Um, he is Doctor Who. Um, I'm never sure how I feel about the TARDIS console just being taken out of the TARDIS, <laughs> and I like that little. Uh, curtsy Liz Shaw does there I yeah I'm never quite how did the doctor get the console out of the TARDIS why isn't it in the TARDIS um I, I I'm not sure we think of it it's, it's one of the many things in Doctor Who where that that happened it undeniably happened because it's in Ambassadors of Death as well but nobody ever really talks about because it, it doesn't really count with the yeah let's didn't the doctor take the console out of the no, yeah to file under the bit in the war machines where they call him doctor who it's just let's just let's just not talk about that um but this is great because it's not it's not the most dramatic of episode endings but what they've done is of course they've started with the doctor being dishonest with liz to get her out of the way and then they've got the brigadier realizing this it's a very simple thing oh he you couldn't use the computer, but it's a great way of sort of adding to the tension, giving them something to ponder on and worry about. And of course, he's doing the thing, and he's a he's annoyed Stalman. Um, so of course, Stalman is going to get annoyed, uh, uh, is going to cut off the energy. Um, but that's all been seeded because uh, of of the of the dynamic that they've had. So even though. I don't think it's the most dramatic episode ending because we don't really realise the consequences of this until afterwards. It's I still think they build it up enough 
that 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 it does actually have enough welly for somebody that's not seen it before. Whereas I think me as a season fan, I go, well, yeah, this is just this is just getting us to the exciting bit next week. But actually, watching it there, I think that's. Yeah, I think that's set up enough drama there, even though he smiles before he vanishes. Um, but I suppose people would be expecting him to just reappear again next week, as he did as he did uh, when he did the test drive before. Um, very good. Very, 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 very good. Action by Havoc. An honorary member. <laughs> Uh, Len Hutton also did the visual effects on uh, Fury from the Deep. Um, he died quite a long time ago now. Um, uh, right, let's pause that. Oh, paused in the blackness. So, I think my second thing, because it was so... And I think because Camfield or whoever, somebody... Decided that that scene between the Doctor and the Brigadier should be on the gantries. Really throws up how important that um, setting is, the Berry and Wiggins plant, um, and it is a it is another character within within the drama, and it makes me sort of fondly think about Quatermass Two as well, which is a. Uh, a piece of drama very close to my heart that is also set in a big industrial complex. And that was enough back in the day when, uh, you know, things and images and things outside your own experience weren't as readily available for you to see. A big industrial complex uh, on, on the telly is, you know, it looks pretty impressive. It's like, it's like an alien environment if you don't work in one. Um, and certainly in terms of in Doctor Who, it's it, it gives just gives the the reality i mean just the noise of the clanging metal and all of that but i think there also we got the height and the stuntmen on it as well uh as i talked about Derek where you know hanging about with his rifle over his shoulder i thought that was a terrific image and then he jumps and he falls and then you got the shot of the body through the stuff you imagine it sort of thunked on a couple of bits as it went down oh and i love the scream as private wyatt falls as well um so i'm going to say the location my favourite thing about episode two, but it's a thing for the whole story. So I may be laying little traps for Jeremy Raddick. Uh, I don't know why I said that like that. Uh, um, I'm gonna yeah. So the location, the Berry and Wiggins plant, that uh, is the industrial complex, is my star of episode two. Just trying to think now if there's anything really obvious I haven't chosen. Nope. Let's go for it. Jeremy! Wow. So it's another absolute uh, banger of an episode. Uh, just, man, just cracking along. Um, so what is it that I love about episode two? Well, I have to say um, it's probably the direction of the location scenes. Um, so I'm pretty sure that Douglas Camfield was still directing, directed all the location stuff on Inferno before he fell ill and Barry Letts took over. Um, and, uh, I love in this episode, particularly all the location scene stuff. I love the, there's a really great scene between the brig and the, the doctor on top of that weird refinery thing. And <laughs> I mean, I don't know what it's doing there or what its purpose is, but it's a great excuse to get them up there and they talk about it. And it's a really tense scene where they're talking about it. And the doctor has that great line about Krakatoa and just kind of ratchets everything up and it keeps the tension going. And then immediately following that, there's a great action sequence, which is super cool. Um, 
I mean, there's a fall in the next episode, which is, of course, justly lauded. But I, I also really love all the stuff up there uh, in this episode, too. And so probably that that sort of vibrant, uh, energetic, kinetic, you know, action stuff that Canfield is so good at. So I, I love that about this episode. Um, so that's my favorite thing. Um, now, hopefully I, hopefully I can keep filming this because... I'm getting a lot of weird power fluctuations in my house. I think that's the scientists in the backyard who are drilling kind of cut into my power line and it's kind of fluctuating a lot. So um, we're going to try and do a workaround. They were very apologetic. So they're going to let me hook up to their nuclear uh, power source, which is really experimental, but they say it's no problem. They can hook my house right up to it. And uh, I just really hope that uh, nothing, you know, nothing happens. Well, what could possibly go wrong? It's just a, you know, completely experimental, unlicensed nuclear uh, power source being hooked up to a standard uh, residential home, but uh, I, I don't foresee any problems happening. But hopefully it all goes well. Fingers crossed, and uh, and I'll be back here for episode three. So talk to you soon. See if you can figure out what my favorite thing on that one is. <laughs> I still love him. <laughs> well, I hope nothing goes wrong when he hooks up the nuclear power to his residential home, and that he's fine. Uh, in, in episode three, I love the fact he's doing this. Um, if if you st if you're out there listening and you've yet to record uh, your contribution, I've got lots of special guests waiting in the wings. Um, to uh, happy times and places, I expect you to record a mini drama based on the story itself. Uh, to uh, as as an homage to the approach of Jeremy. No, I don't. You do it. You respond to it however you so choose. That's the beauty of this. Everybody has done it in different ways. Uh, and it shows that not all Doctor Who fans are the same and that we all express ourselves uh, differently, but hopefully with a with a zest for fun and life and entertainment and a love of this very silly programme. But as Jeremy uh, pointed out, can be very, very tense, particularly this story, Inferno. Although I'm not feeling too tense because I am claiming that... Uh, he did a sort of synthesis of the location and Camfield. So it's actually my my two things, uh, the only one point available per episode. So I think I get a point this episode. So it's even Stevens. Uh, it's one point each to myself and to Jeremy Raddick. So uh, let's see uh, if, uh, if I can continue. It's not a winning streak, is it? If I can capitalize upon my single point uh, next time when we uh, go to episode three of Inferno, as it is known uh, in, uh, in, the, in the illustrious history of Doctor Who, the eyepatch episode. Um, so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go now, and then I'm going to turn around and see what you're all wearing uh, in the next installment. But I'm thoroughly enjoying this. It's a tip-top piece of Doctor Who Inferno. We haven't even got to the bits of the story that people really talk about, uh, which is when, you know, the apocalypse is unleashed on an alternative Earth. That's still to happen, but, hey, the journey is still pretty tense and exciting. And, you know, this is top-draw Doctor Who even before it's got to the bits that, uh, <laughs> you know, e even before the bits that write the headlines. Um, all right. I'm enjoying this. Thanks for being there to listen to me uh, go to many happy times and places. And this is very much one of them. Until next time, bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places. 
which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest this time around is Jeremy Raddick, who can be found on Twitter at Jeremy Raddick. These podcasts would not be possible without patrons who include Jim Sankster, Dave Owen, Jeremiah O'Connor, Justin E. Monaghan, James Miller, Nick Mellish, Daryl McLean, Nate Lynch, Jacob Lumley, Andrew Llewellyn, Andrew Lester, Hendrik Korzeniowski, Andy Kitching, Matthew Kilburn, William Keith, Jeff Kaplan, Judith Jackson, Christopher Joyce, Robert Jewell, Paul Ingerson, David Hughes, Gregory Hudson, Darren Howard, Matthew Houliston, Sam Hollingsworth, Simon Hodges, Duncan Harvey, Steve Hatcher, Susan Harrison, Paul J. Guest, and Robin Groen. The music is by Dave Gates, and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Did I hear you say you could become a patron, Toby? That's right, you can, at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Patrons get exclusive and bonus material and are actually several months ahead of uh, everybody else. Yes, I mean, the drilling's over. The world's ended in Patronville. Uh, it starts at £3 a month. It's a very egalitarian system. There are the odd little trinket if uh, you ascend the ladder, but generally everything's available from £3 per month, and you even get 10% off that if you do a year in advance. There's also the Kofi option, which doesn't tie you into a subscription, but does one-off payments if you are so inclined at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. But mostly, please keep listening and downloading. I'm absolutely astonished by the level of support that these have had, and I hope you enjoy them. And if you do, it costs you nothing to give me five stars, perhaps a few positive lines at your podcast outlet, because I need to keep my algorithms in top notch, uh, because... Uh, I like to get them out in public and show them to people to try and get them to come to my boudoir. Uh, I'm also a stand-up comic as well as a Doctor Who geek, and I do a live show in Manchester at Excess Malarkey, a comedy club that's been running for 24 years. So it's pretty good, uh, and it's also very, very affordable, and that's at 8pm every Tuesday night. Uh, if you're not based in Manchester and it seems like a bit of a trek, well, we do a monthly online show as a result of the success of our uh, lockdown internet shows that we were forced to do by fate uh, and have actually changed the way that we go about our business. So every month from Sunday, the first Sunday uh, in August 2021, we will be doing uh, a live comedy show, me and four guests from around the world at twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey and you can also find excess malarkey on twitter at excess malarkey uh, i'm there too at toby haydoke and these podcasts have uh, their own feed as well at haydoke podcasts so you know you could be sick of me if you actually didn't try all that hard no comment no comment